Vision and Sounds built to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Work back Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We love personality tests. Learning our love language, the nuances of our astrological sun, moon, and rising signs. And today we're examining why. Why are we so drawn to discovering ourselves deeper? You probably have done a personality test of some kind, but have you had your birth chart read or even taken the time to understand your human design type? I'm senior producer Taylor Camille and host of today's episode, where we'll try to better understand our desire to learn more about ourselves. We'll talk to several experts to learn the ways that they see people exploring themselves and take a closer look at the tools we can use to help us understand how we show up and relate to others in our everyday lives. I think the bottom line is that we're naturally curious about ourselves. That's Chris Soto, a professor of psychology at Colby College and the director of the Colby Personality Lab. I study personality traits and personality skills. So how people's specific habits of thinking, feeling, and behaving cohere into broader patterns that we call personality traits. I study personality development, so whether, how, and why people's personalities change over time. Um, I study personality outcomes. So if we know something about someone's personality today, can we predict what their life is going to be like for the next few years or decades? And I study personality assessment. So how we can measure all that stuff. So why do you think we are so drawn to explore these assessments and all these other external forces that kind of help us get a better picture of who we are and what we're like? We want to figure out what we're like as people and how we're different or similar to other people. Um, I think you can break that down into three basic psychological motivations that lead people to personality tests and other kinds of assessments. So one of those motivations is Mm self-verification. So we all have beliefs about what we're like as a person, what our personality is like. And it feels good to have those beliefs validated, to have them confirmed. So if I have a belief, I take a personality test, it gives me feedback that confirms that belief. That feels good. It feels good to be accurate in my knowledge of myself. A second potential motivation is self-enhancement. So 
in general, it feels good to say good things about yourself and a personality test can be one venue for doing that. And then the third possibility is self-discovery. You know, we do like to learn new things about ourselves and personality tests can be one way to do that, either by pointing out something new that we just hadn't realized about ourselves or by giving us more of a framework and a language for talking about a part of our personality that we already kind of knew, but we really didn't quite have the words for it. So we know there's a lot of different self-assessments out there, but we wanted to know more about the go-to framework for scholars and for scientists when it comes to evaluating the nuances of our personalities. The dominant framework for scientifically studying personality is called the Big Five Personality Traits. First up, there's extroversion, which is the extent to which someone is talkative, assertive, and energetic, rather than being more socially and emotionally reserved. Second is agreeableness, which is how much compassion, respect, and trust someone tends to feel towards other people, rather than being more blunt, argumentative, and suspicious of others. Mm -hmm. The third trait is conscientiousness, which is the extent to which someone tends to be organized, hardworking, and responsible as opposed to being disorganized and maybe a bit lazy. Fourth is neuroticism, which is how prone someone is to experiencing negative emotions like anxiety, sadness, and anger, as opposed to being more calm and emotionally stable. And last is openness to experience, which is how much someone tends to seek out and create new ideas and new experiences rather than sticking with more um, familiar and conventional ones. So that's the basic framework. Uh, there are a number of good personality assessments out there that are based in the big five. Um, one specific personality test that I've helped create and validate is called the big five inventory two or BFI two. Uh, but there are certainly other good ones out there as well. And so how does something like the big five compare to our astrology or our Enneagram or our human design or our five love languages or any of the other things that people kind of do themselves and click around on the internet and find? Yeah. So I'd say there are two major advantages of the big five over other models that are out there. And mm -hmm. these are the main reasons why scientists tend to like them. The first one is that the big five come naturally out of how people use everyday language to describe their own personality and the personality of other people that they know. Um, so there's this extensive body of scientific literature called psycholexical research, uh, which means basically going through dictionaries, pulling out like the 500 or so uh, adjectives that are most commonly used to describe people's personalities have people rate themselves and other people using those personality descriptive adjectives, using statistical analyses to see how the adjectives uh, align with each other. And if you do that in a number of different languages around the world, you get versions of the big five. Um, mm -hmm. So that's suggesting that these are pretty fundamental things that generalize across cultures and emerge naturally from people's language. And then the second big advantage of the big five is once that model was established over the course of the 1980s and into the early 1990s, and scientists started to use it, they found that the model worked very well. And that basically a lot of other personality tests that were out there that were older could all be reconceptualized in terms of the big five. Mm -hmm. And that new measures of the big five, if someone fills them out now, uh, what they say on a personality test that measures the big five relates with their everyday behavior, 
relates with their life outcomes, predicts their interests, and all kinds of other things about their social lives, their work lives. So we have these personality traits, but are we born with them? Are we predestined to act and behave a certain way, or is our personality shaped by our lived experiences? There's a lot of research on this, and it's clearly a bit of both. So on the one hand, we do partly inherit our personality traits, and we know that because of decades of research into what's called behavioral genetics. So this is research where you recruit participants who are more or less genetically related to each other. So for example, you might have some pairs of identical twins who share all their genes, mm -hmm. and you have other pairs of fraternal twins or ordinary biological siblings who share half their genes. And then you also have adoptive siblings who are raised in the same household, but don't share any of their genetic material. And then you measure people's personality traits and see how similar they are to each other. And these kinds of behavioral genetic studies consistently find that people who are more genetically related to each other do tend to have more similar personalities. Um, that's true for all the big five, as well as many other psychological characteristics as well. So clearly our personalities are in part inherited. Um, but we also know that's not the whole story for a few reasons. One is from those same behavioral genetic studies because if genes were the whole story, if our personalities were entirely determined by our genes, then identical twins would have identical personalities because they have the same genes. If you know some identical twins, you know they tend to have similar personalities, but definitely not identical. So there must be something about unique experiences that are leading uh, twins to have different personalities. Yeah. Um, and then the second way that we know that is because personality traits are not perfectly stable over time. So if you measure someone's personality now, you wait 10 years and measure it again, there's probably going to be some similarity uh, over that time period, but you're also probably going to see some changes. So I think the most important take-home points from the research on personality traits is, first of all, that there is some accuracy to it, that you can measure personality traits that people do generally have pretty accurate impressions of what their personalities are like, that they agree with uh, what other people say about their personalities. A second key thing is that personality traits can and do change over time. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that, that's easy. But in general, most people become more agreeable, more conscientious, more emotionally stable over the course of adulthood. So that's good news. It's, it's not something... It's going to happen tomorrow, but most of us are going to change for the better over the next 20 years. So we know what parts of our personality are backed by science, but it's hard not to be curious about other models that help us learn more about who we are, like our astrology chart. For that, we turn to Maddie Murphy. My name is Maddie Murphy, and I just kind of wrap up everything I do under the job title Cosmic Consultant. I use astrology and coaching and psychology and intuitive work all together to help people just tap into their best versions of themselves. I also help people with their businesses. So it's anything that you want to just tune into some higher guidance on. I'm your girl. For you, when would you say you were first drawn to astrology? And mm -hmm. then also, like, when were you drawn to kind of explore more external forces that tell us about ourselves. When I was younger, I loved astrology. You know, uh, my aunt was 
a very just like devout, you know, spiritual, cool explorer of the world. And she had studied with a numerology expert in California. And she would always do like my numbers and my tarot cards and my astrology for the year. But I just was really in awe of it. And I think as someone who's always had a little bit of a hard time like understanding how to identify myself, um, not really resonating with a lot of the like traditional identities I grew up with. with like, I'm not an athlete. I'm not like, you know, I didn't want to yeah. be a lawyer. I was like, yeah. I don't get like who, who I am feels so complex. And so when she would say things to me, I felt very validated. Like, okay, she really sees me. So I would go into the new age bookstore in my town and just like sit for hours and like, you know, buy my, use my babysitting money to buy little spell candles. And I'd read all the books in there and the birthday book and you know, all of those like cool older astrology books, um, Jan Stevens, the only astrology book you'll ever need and Linda Goodman's Sun Signs. And I was really into it. And I had this like, I would you know tell people at school about their sun signs, but then just like anything, I was like, okay, now time to grow up and like be cool and be in the world. And, um, you know, then I came back to astrology after my Saturn return imploded my life. And I was just standing there like a wedding called off no money, no job. I got rid of my apartment. My parents were getting separated. And I was like, I I don't know what's going on. And I kind of reached for those same tools just to kind of get context. I was like, who cares? Even if this is like made up, it's better than like nothing right now. And then someone I knew just printed me out a free report on like some free astrology website. My sister did. And she was like trying to remind me of who I was. And she knew I had been interested in astrology when I was younger. And when I read the report, then as an adult, you know, now my like 28, 29, I was like, oh, this is like really on point for me. And it was really like my moon sign that really stood out to me of like, oh yeah, that's helping me connect so many dots. Cause it was a lot of information to absorb, but the moon sign stood out to me. But my third point was, well, really it was like the turning back point. No looking back, I went a full all into astrology. Um, was in 2016, I had met um, now my dear friend, like Colin Bedell of Queer Cosmos and we got linked up and the way he talked about astrology and how he wove in everything, like the political, um, social justice element, but also the like secular world of self-growth and empowerment and therapy. And I was like, wow, you're just like weaving this so beautifully. And he said something about my own chart, about what I was supposed to be doing with my career. That was exactly what I've been thinking about, but I was too nervous to say out loud. And I felt like I just, who am I to do this? I'm not ready. And I'm making a big change. Feels really scary. And he just read me. And that was like, I kind of never went back. I put all bets on that astrology reading. And so those three moments, it was like learning as a kid is one thing. And then you learn a little bit of to understand yourself when you're going through a hard time. And then I feel like there's like the third level of learning astrology when you're like, no, I will literally just make huge life decisions based on this because it's so <laughs> affirming and it's giving me this information that I needed in such like black and white terms. And yeah. it's like a permission slip from the planets to now just go be myself in, in my fullest, like expansive, enhanced self. So yeah, yeah, that was my journey with astrology of the three like memories that are really stand out to me. And here's why she thinks so many of us are drawn to the stars. I find that the people who are drawn to these tools the most are people who really believe wholeheartedly that they're here for a, a larger capital S, capital P, soul's purpose. But I find that these tools help them just start to begin to like put the pieces of the puzzle back together. And again, your purpose doesn't have to do with your career, but just meaning like, why am I here? And I feel like I'm here for something like 
bigger than maybe what I've been shown. But I feel most humans were here to like expand and, and to evolve and to understand ourselves. And these tools, there's something like even I do intuitive card readings. I love like my my psychic work, but truly like astrology is what I lean on because it's one thing to sit with someone and have them tell you something. I'm like, okay, okay. But there's another thing just to look at a black and white in a chart, in a reading, even from like, again, like that automatic reading I got from the website. Where it's like, how is this so accurate and so down to the little detail, like things that I've never yeah. said out loud or didn't know how to. So it's something, again, it's very validating. It helps in the self-actualization and helps you understand like putting together your unique roadmap, your unique treasure map of how you get to embody your purpose, um, mm-hmm. especially if you're here for something that's not like cookie cutter, right? My approach <laughs> to astrology is very, um, it's definitely intuitive. Like I left the chart, uh, I always feel like the chart is like going into a huge closet of cookbooks and every cookbook contains dozens and hundreds of recipes maybe. So there's a lot going on in someone's chart. So I definitely like usually hear about what they want to learn about themselves and, you know, where they want to go and what, if anything, they have coming up that feels sticky, like an obstacle or a pattern they want to get out of. And then I just sort of meditate on their chart and it almost like lights up for me. Like what's the significant thing happening there? Um, and one of my teachers, Sam Reynolds, he is not really an intuitive astrologer, but he admitted, he's like, how you read someone's chart has to be kind of intuitive because it's like, you just have to kind of see like what pops out like a magic eye because there's mm-hmm. so much to dig into. And then um, I always like to look at what's happening in someone's chart. What what has been the last like year or two like in their chart um, to help me understand like the moment they're in and give it some context and give it them some understanding of me why they've been through some of the things they've been through. Mm-hmm. And then I always begin like the beginning of their chart, zooming out to their North node, which is anyone listening um, finding out the sign of your North Node and the house that it's in is huge. Your North Node is about like your, again, higher soul's purpose, what your soul is here to do, the path that it's on. And it may not have anything to do with what you think, like how you're living your life, how you're showing up for your relationships, how you're showing up for your self-growth, for your work, mm-hmm. for your art. And it it's like a GPS. It's like, okay, this is where I'm going. So if I know that's my higher soul's purpose, then I can use that as kind of a, a barometer for decision-making, which I think is one of the hardest things as being a human is trusting ourselves and like, is this the right path? Is this the right choice? Mm-hmm. So North Node is like, for me, I always look to someone's that. That's like, helps me understand the big, big why, because I love evolutionary shamanic astrology, I'm like, why are we here? Right? Like I won't get into the big stuff. And then just like anyone listening to this, then I go into the rest of the parts, their personal planets and what's happening and and what are their tools and obstacles and opportunities to sort of like how they're going to live in that North node. But it's definitely the North node is, is I would say like everyone (laughs) listening, like read it, read what house it's in, see where it's near any other planets in your chart. And I think you'll have some aha moments. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, 
propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Aside from astrology, has there been any other assessments that you felt like illuminated parts of your life that showed you different parts of yourself that you didn't get in astrology? Oh, absolutely. I am a sucker for self-assessment tools. I'm like, give it to me. Give me more. Um, I think that definitely human design. In fact, I kind of found human design after three years of studying astrology. I was like, I should learn that too. And I literally heard this voice inside me like, no, too much, Maddie. Like you don't have to go full all in professional on everything you do. Like read (laughs) your chart, let let someone else do that. Because I'm like, these are two very big spaces to be like in your brain. And luckily that's true because astrology, you know, I've been studying for like five years, six years, and it still keeps me on my toes where I'm like, I know nothing. Um, (laughs) So human design, especially again, like it really helped me human design in my career, in my Mm. leadership of running my company, of understanding the larger, again, bigger plan that I'm involved in in my life. Um, Yeah, human design was really huge. And then I love all the stuff, you know, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs. I actually really love numerology, Mm. like doing like your life path number. So yeah, but definitely human design, 100%. Human design, which similar to astrology, uses your birth date and birth time. But can we use it to better understand ourselves and our patterns? For that, we spoke to Jenna Zoe. My name is Jenna Zoe. I'm a world-leading human design expert, and I'm the creator of My Human Design, which is the website where you can go look up your human design, the app of the same name where you can get full readings of your design, all of your friends and family's designs, daily tips to help you live in alignment. And we have meditations on there, waking meditations, basically everything that is um, custom designed for you specifically to get into what your specific alignment is, what you specifically came to be. Um, So we really tailor it to the individual. Could you explain what human design is for those that don't know and kind of explain how you got into it originally? Yes. So it's a modality that was founded in the late 80s and it is based on a couple of different principles. So it combines the I Ching, conventional astrology, the chakra system and the Kabbalah tree of life. And it's a very practical blueprint or roadmap of who you came here to be. So the idea is that before you come here, your soul decides all the specific ways of being and gifts and traits it's going to need in order to fulfill its karma, its destiny, whatever you want to call it. So um, a little bit like how in astrology you have the sun sign, the moon and the rising. Mm -hmm. You have three most important categories in your 
human design too. So you have your energy type, which is basically how your energy functions. So your dips and your rises in energy levels, um, you know, if you're meant to work in this kind of pattern or nine to five or in surges or less or more or whatever. And your energy type can tell you how you're supposed to go about making things happen in your life, creating stuff, manifesting things in your life if you want. Um, mm to use that word, um, what your alignment, you know, your sort of real self looks like and what your not real self looks like. Mm -hmm. And then you have your authority, which is kind of how your intuition functions. And I find this one so interesting because, you know, everybody says, listen to your intuition, listen to your intuition. And what human design says is everybody's intuition looks different. So some people's intuition is supposed to be about, um, you know, what their gut says. Mm -hmm. Everybody says, listen to your gut intuition. It's not, it's like, it's one thing. It isn't. So some people's gut is going to say, yes, I want this or no, I don't. And they're going to feel physically pulled towards something like viscerally, like, yes, I want that or no, I don't. Right. That's the mm -hmm. very, it's not a hell yes. It's a hell no thing. Yeah. Other people are really supposed to weigh up the facts and take in all the information and let things sink in and do what makes sense to them cerebrally. Mm -hmm. Other people are supposed to listen to, um, you know, their ego, what motivates them, whether it's money or impact or fame or making a success out of themselves. Other people are supposed to listen to their emotions. So does something have give you a good emotion about it when you feel it, when you feel into it, when you think about it? So that's your authority. And the reason why it's called authority is because when you become your own inner authority, when you strengthen that inner intuition, you don't look for authority outside of yourself as much, right? Mm -hmm. We really are supposed to be the authority of our own lives. So getting to know exactly how your intuition functions is really helpful. Mm -hmm. And then um, the third most important thing is your profile. And your profile is your sort of, it's the classic sort of like personality archetype thing. Mm -hmm. um, there are 12 of those. And what that tells you is how the world sees you, how you show up in the world, and also how you show up with yourself. So your relationship, how you see yourself is never actually how you see other people because you have two different sides of your personality. You have your inside kind of life and your outside kind of life. Yeah, And that can tell you a lot of different things, like how you socialize with people, how you know what's right for you, how you learn, how you're supposed to help other people see you um, and how to embrace that, how your process of getting to your genius looks like. There's there's so many things in it. It's a huge well of information. And that's only the first three things. Are you following or have we lost you? So, you know, we all know that we're different but we still are all getting given the same advice, right? Like here's the morning routine you need to be successful or follow this business advice and whatever. And many of us are reading all of that and falling short, or we feel like something is wrong with us if we can't do it. Whereas actually, you know, this new era that we're in is really about seeing the individual for who they are. And I believe that's why human design came in now because we're finally ready for it. So it really provides you with, here are the tools that are gonna work for you and mm -hmm. get you to where you wanna go with greater ease, with less resistance. This is what your specific lane looks like. This is who your soul is. And um, the idea is that the day you're born, you're already living as your highest self, but you get exposed to so much conditioning that pulls you out of who you are. And so we want to just get back to that. Um, and I got into it about eight years ago now. Um, when somebody read me my design, I was already majorly into astrology mm -hmm. and I was already doing a lot of the spiritual things, like very much seeking, reading all the books and everything. But 
you know, like I was saying, I felt like I was falling short because I just couldn't just surrender or I couldn't, you know, do these kind of general pieces of advice. And I couldn't figure out what that looked like for me. So when I finally discovered human design, I felt A, so seen and also met exactly where I was. So Mm -hmm. it helped kind of bridge me into and describe for me how that spiritual practice, how those spiritual tools looked for me and how I could action them. So we've established that people seek to understand themselves on a deeper level, whether it's through astrology, personality tests, or even human design. But Jenna pointed out that human design isn't merely understanding our personality, but rather adding recommended practices into our lives to help us live at ease. I think that every human being on the planet, whether they consider themselves spiritual or not, wants to know more about themselves wants to know how they function, what's different about them, what's special about them. And everybody wants to know what our purpose is. So even though there has been a spiritual sort of explosion recently of people looking into these higher guidance systems or whatever, you know, on the one hand, they also do have their roots in science. So even people with a scientific mind are looking to connect to that stuff deeper. I really believe that we as humans have a part of us that is sacred you know, that's the part that is God in us or the universe in us, whatever you want to call it. And then we have our our sort of profane human side. And so from our sacred side, we're always reaching for what our highest version of us is because that's in us already. So mm-hmm. I think we're just looking to connect more to that and not identify so much with the ego self. And I also feel like the more we are tired with the ego self, the more we're tired with the sort of heavier parts of life, the more mm-hmm. likely we're going to be to want to push towards you know, the sacred sides, whether you think that's spiritual or higher guidance, guides, God, you know, (laughs) just your better version of your brain, your inner self, your soul, you know, whatever you call it, it's, uh, it's in all of us and we're all reaching for that. Yes, definitely. And I think the way the world is now, we're really at a tipping point where we're kind of tired of our own BS, which is why I think there is a, a really big explosion into all of this now. So you mentioned that human design kind of gets you back to where you started before conditioning from outside forces. How does it do that? Like how in practice does it help you tap back into who you truly are? So it's really interesting because in so many ways, we are almost obsessed with needing to go through like a huge process to become something. Mm-hmm. And human design obviously say that it's more of an unbecoming, but awareness is 90% of the work. And I really believe that where the more you keep reconfirming to yourself, okay, hold on. If you know you're supposed to be inconsistent, if you can keep reminding yourself that of that every day, it's like you strengthen your inside and then you have more of a buffer to any of the noise that's going to come out of you and say, you need that consistent morning breakfast. You need to eat the same breakfast every day or whatever it is. It's going to come to you in so many different forms. So just having the awareness and then reinforcing that to yourself is a big, big part of what it is, is just remembering. And then also seeing other people like, okay, mm-hmm. this person isn't doing things the wrong way. They're just doing it in the way that is correct for them. And even though that's not correct for me, it creates so much more harmony and understanding between your relationships when you see like, okay, this person is actually supposed to stress out over things. Um, Mm. And so who am I to say, be calm and zen and meditate and, you know, all these different types of things. So it creates a lot of peace. And I say all the time that understanding will heal the world because there isn't this like giant work that we have to do. It's not supposed to be a struggle. It's a soft, gentle, reminder to ourselves about 
who we are all the time and to keep feeling that and to keep strengthening that, to come back to it, bathing in our own essence more, um, everything else kind of like flows off our shoulders. And I always say to people that it's really important not to just trust what I say or trust what the, the chart says. It's really supposed to be that you try it out and you see it work for you and then you believe that it's true. So it's really um, an experiment where you're not supposed to trust before you do it. It's that you do it and you're supposed to see rewarding evidence in your life of when you live in alignment, you're supposed to see amazing rewards. Mm -hmm. I think you want to get it right where you're stretching yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone, but you're not kind of like trying to catapult yourself into being perfect straight away because that isn't the goal. And I think that I've seen many times that physiologically that sometimes creates negative effects because um, the body can only handle so much change at one time without thinking, without finding it traumatic and too different, right? It's it's like, it's going to change your physiology too quickly. And yeah. if you have a baseline of physiology and a baseline of sort of like mental and physical templates of your life, you don't want to kind of jank yourself too much out of that, right? It's also interesting because I think sometimes you have so many ideas about who you are and what you are, and some of them are fed to you and some of them are from fear and all these mm -hmm. things, that it really does help to have a different modality that kind of helps you clear what is yours and what isn't, you know, and I really believe that if, whether you're using an astrologer or an Enneagram thing or a tarot or a human design person, if the information is delivered by someone who has pure intentions, they're all going to kind of say the same-ish things. Finding the perfect baseline, especially once you start this journey of self-discovery, can feel overwhelming. But Maddie has this reminder about the process. Don't get overwhelmed. Like, I know if you're like me, when I first was learning, I wanted to understood everything and I was like fiend for it um, and your chart especially with astrology will always be revealing itself to you I, I look at stuff in my own chart and I'm like what I never noticed that because it's this like again it's this relationship you build so don't worry about understanding every technical word and every aspect and placement and sign and planet um, just you know start be curious and, and really have fun it, it's a wild ride getting to know yeah. yourself <laughs> It is most definitely a wild ride, but one that should be illuminating rather than daunting. You don't have to agree with everything you come to learn, but for me, it's thrown a lot into perspective and given me something to chew on when it comes to thinking about how I show up in the world and how I relate to others. On today's show, you heard from Maddie Murphy, Chris Soto, and Jenna Zoe. This episode was scripted in part by Charlotte Tratner and produced by Ella Dove, Abby Stone, and myself, Taylor Camille, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. Mixing and scoring by our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel, and our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette.